Hey, my name is Josh Chambers. And I'm Leif Parton. Welcome to How Humans Change. This week, we spoke with our longtime friend, Sarah Cobb. Sarah went from growing up at Arkansas to become a successful graphic designer in D.C. and New York. And then, she started over. Sarah became a full-time musician in her 30s, named S.C. I think one of the most interesting aspects of our conversation with Sarah is that music was always calling her, and how different voices in her life moved her closer or farther from that. She experienced so many little moments of mentorship, rebellion, freedom, support, risks, and of course, burlesque. Even though we've known Sarah for over seven years, we never connected all the dots for her story. And it was so fun um, and beautiful to do that in one sitting, which is probably why this podcast is the greatest. Which guys, subscribe, okay? You'll find all the links to SE on our website, and you can find SE on all your favorite streaming apps. By the way, it's spelled E-S-S-S-E-E. And of course, if you like this podcast, please subscribe and share with your friends. And if you know anyone that would be great to talk to, please reach out at howhumanschange.com. Here's a quick song from Essie and our great conversation. Hope you like it. Cause it's not always bad to get Welcome to the podcast. Hey. <laughs> Guys, uh, we have... So, do so you want to go by Essie? No. You want to be Sarah Cobb, right? Yeah. It's, I mean, yeah. What, what do you uh, want to do? What do you want to do? Do you want to be Essie? Or, well, we're going to have to say Sarah Cobb, but we, can, we could refer to you only as Essie. I don't care. What's up to you? Well, well fun fact. Um, it's pronounced S-C. Yeah. Like S-C. Got it. Everybody says Essie. Right. Um, oh, I'm sorry. It's okay. I should know My that. mom does that. Okay. <laughs> and she named me, but it's just, it's my initials, like, phonetically spelled out, so, like, pronounce an S. And oh, nice. So, yeah. But who has time to pause and really... S-C. S-C. I don't know. <laughs> I gotta let people say what they want to say. Same with my you name. Know what? They can be They can be creative with it, as long as they don't think I'm nail polish. My mom still calls my wife Corin, and her name is Corinne. Yep. <laughs> yes. Exactly. That's good. I still get Levi. Levi? Nope. Still no. <laughs> still no. It's okay, guys. It's okay. Uh, uh, all right. But, sir, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Um, today we want to talk about your big change going from super corporate creative America uh-huh. to going full-time music and what that's been like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Risking it all. <laughs> going for the big. Swinging big for the fences. Um, the first question, just to kind of set up context, what, what were you like in high school growing up? Where'd you grow up? What, what was, uh, <laughs> I was, um, can you please do in... it with an accent while you talk about your high school experience? I mean, I could, I yes. could, I could. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I grew up in Little Rock, Arkansas and I went to an all girls, um, Catholic high school. Uh, I, I never really wanted to go to high school. So <laughs> I was like, I was like, can we like skip this part and go like straight to college? Because that sounds great. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was always super creative in in high school and became pretty quickly like the art kid, um, which I think helped a lot. It helped me like kind of bounce around through different social groups and and 
never really be like too much on the radar. Right. But people would be like, hey, draw me a picture. And I'd be like, okay, are we friends now? <laughs> so I just kind of like cruised by in high school on that. I did, I, I kind of dropped out of all of my honors classes in order to keep pursuing art. Huh. Fun, funny thing was that um, at one point you had to choose between um, the way the programs were set up, like it was very math and science forward kind of like, let's make the world's next like doctors and engineers, yeah, like, right. you know, that kind of focus. And so um, actually, as I was there, it, it became a little bit more like, oh, we should also concentrate on the arts. But when I started, they were like, you, you kind of have to pick your path and you have to choose. If you want to go down the arts background, you have to choose between fine art and music because those happen at the same time. Uh-huh. So, so I had to choose, um, you know, if I wanted to sing or if I wanted to draw. draw. And at that time in my life, um, drawing seemed more fun than being in a choir. Um, but they had a phenomenal choir. They like performed at Carnegie Hall and oh, no way. like they were like great. Was that but, a hard decision? Um, it was, it was because I knew I wanted to do both things and it just was like, I was like, well, I guess I'll get it out in, you know, the annual one, one time only like theater performance that we do and I'll be in the choir or have a role in that whenever we, we get to partner with the boys school and do that. But, um, yeah, it was kind of like, and it, and it also at, at whatever, 15 years old, you're not thinking super long term about like, well, what am I going to want to do with my life? Right. <laughs> Which one is more important? And to this day, neither one of those would have set me up better. I think the, actually the art at that time was the right decision. And, yeah. um, I don't regret it. It was wonderful. I had a great teacher and like learned so much and that ultimately ended up getting me into college. So do you have, what was your favorite project? Do you, do you remember any that you were really proud of? I was really proud of, um, I did a pop art project and I, I, (laughs) I bought also at pop-up books. No, no, like pop art. Like, oh, like, like in, Andy like Warhol. Andy kinda. Warhol. So Got it. Uh, we <laughs> an Andy Warhol pop up book. Got it. <laughs> in Catholic school, you're not allowed to chew gum. Obviously. And so I was like, I'm doing pop art, and I bought, a, I bought a uh, industrial sized bucket of double bubble, and I chewed every piece. Oh my god. And saved the wrappers, and I made this like huge like huge poster of I like used them all to create a design a really graphic oh, poster of double of like double bubble um with your gum wrappers with the just the wrappers oh. and wait why did you I, chew all the gum then so my teacher kept being like you don't have to chew all the gum <laughs> and I was like it's part of the process <laughs> She was like, you're just trying to chew gum in school, <laughs> which came back to get me because it was, double bubble is so uh, sugary. Yeah. It oh, like stripped the enamel from my teeth because I had chewed like over 300 pieces. 
and I had to go to a periodontist and get enamel like painted back onto my teeth. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so you know what it's I was like. very so you, committed to this like You were like super well acquainted with the like tortured <laughs> artist even in high tortured school. Tortured artist. This is for I was my very, work. I was very method with it. <laughs> my yeah. teeth feel hot and cold. It must <laughs> happen. <laughs> It was so stupid. Did you, did you like, was that rebellion? What was that? I think it was, uh, I think it was a little bit of rebellion, but like rebellion with humor. Like, yeah, I knew, I knew I was breaking a rule, but I also knew it was just gum. Like <laughs> you can kind of push the line and be like, oh yeah. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta like, oh, interesting. crack me down for this bubblegum wrapper. <laughs> like, so you kind uh, of had this savvy, tricky way of being rebellious that wasn't like, you didn't emerge from the back room, the dark room with dilated pupils and like a waft no. of smoke. You came out with bubblegum. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I was never really that. Uh, PG rebellion. Yeah, it was PG rebellion. <laughs> But it was smart rebellion a little bit, right? It wasn't like it didn't get you kicked out of school. It's true, and and the gross part of the story was eventually she was like, "You have to finish that gum today. It's no longer going to be allowed in my classroom." And I had like I don't know, like forty pieces left. (laughs) So we, all the girls in the class, put as much as they could in their mouths, and then she got real mad because everybody's just like. Bursting at the seams <laughs> with this gum in their mouth. And she got mad and she was like, everybody spit that out. So then we went into the back room and we all spit out our gum and we made a sculpture out of the gum. Oh, God. And it said, it was like, we love you. And we put it on a poster board, hung it up behind her desk. <laughs> and it just like slid off the poster board slowly. It was so <laughs> gross. We love you. <laughs> oh, that's really funny. That's amazing. Oh man, thank you. I can't. I can't top yeah, that. That was What's... my favorite art project, probably. Good high school. So, so then, from there, you were like, I should go to art college. Yeah. To clearly, that 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 entitled me to an, a fine arts college. Well, you education. lost the enamel on your teeth, bro. You were the real I did. deal. I was hardcore. You you went to SVA, right? And you got a No, I went to I went to Savannah College of Art and Design actually. I knew there was an S in there. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which was actually kind of a, a funny thing because I'd always wanted to go to art school mm-hmm. since I'd chose since I'd chosen my path. Right. And um my excuse me. Uh my father being from Arkansas, my parents um, were very conservative, are very conservative, um, hardworking people, and there's not a lot of opportunity in Arkansas for a career in the arts. You can kind of work in the newspaper, maybe you could work at the television station, there's like a publishing company, and this was when I was younger. It might, it's probably very different now. Right, right. Um, Pre-internet. But, but I don't think, and there may have been a lot more opportunities, but I don't think that my parents ever had any, like, they'd never seen it. So in their minds, it was like such a risky thing. Art school was such a risky thing because yeah. they're like, well, if you ever come home, 
you're not going to have a job and we've failed as parents. Right. Like we need to set you up to be able to like right. take care of yourself. So how did you trick him into letting, did you, do you have to get permission to go to? I, well, honestly, I think, I think the trick was. The gum. Was golf. Golf. Yes. What? That's right. I, I, I grew up playing golf. I played golf in high school and then, um, I really wanted to go to art school and my mom is very soft hearted and sweet and knew that that was something I really wanted to do. And my dad is very practical and protective. And so he was, he was more, um, no, you need to go to like a school where you can study art, but like have a more well-rounded education and doing everything. So he was more on like the liberal arts train and Mm -hmm. she was like, I feel like there's got to be a way to make this work. Yeah, (laughs) that's awesome. And so she found this book that was like all of the schools in the United States with golf teams. And... Hot hot book. It was a hot book. It was flying (laughs) off the shelves. I remember uh, picking that up for the first time. It was life-changing. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Which, ironically, it was life-changing for me. Because I found... The one art school in the United States with a golf team. And I was like, Dad, look, this school has a golf team. Like, maybe I could play. Oh, my gosh. And he was like, well, we'll look at it. So that was like, that's what I got was we'll look at it. As a total tangent, do you think that he was, the way that I'm hearing this, he could either be really naive and the sitcom dad who's like, well, oh, yeah, I'm golf, all sports, yeah. Or he could, <laughs> he could have been like, all right, I see what's happening here. And I'm just going to work with her because I recognize that this is what she really wants. But I don't want to give in. So I on. think it's the latter. I think it's definitely the latter. I think he knew what I was doing. He definitely knew what I was doing. Yeah. But uh, I think he's he's always kind of been like, He's always acknowledged my strong will, <laughs> and I, which I get from him. And so I think we relate on that. We're, we're the last, we're always the last to back down. And usually we back down once we're proven wrong. <laughs> if, if that even happens. If that happens. And even at that point, it's hard for us to admit. And like, we both shoulder that and like, for better or worse. And, and I think a lot of times it serves us well because we end up, we end up creating things and making things. Like my dad built the house that I grew up in. Yeah. Huh. Um, and he was very much, is very much the kind of man that's like, well, if you want something done, like don't wait for people to do it, like do it yourself right. and make it yourself and make it what you want it to be. Right. So um, I think I learned that mostly from him. It's interesting. I think that a lot of people, I don't know if it's a lot, but I can speak for myself. We had accidental role models in creativity. It just took growing up to realize those connections. As a kid, it was didn't feel connected at all. But growing up now, I can look back and see some similar patterns as well, where my dad built everything, did everything himself, um, yeah, and was not in art. Didn't really ever value it, as far as I could tell. I didn't feel like I was, yeah reprimanded necessarily for it but looking back you can make those connections and say oh wow i sort of did have some kind of a model of at least making and creating 
Yeah, my dad's yeah, my dad's really amazing too. Um, <laughs> 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 segue into college. So you go to college. You have an amazing uh, experience learning whatever the hell you learn at art school, and you come yeah. out with a high-paying job. <laughs> Yeah, kind of. I, I, well, I ended up playing golf in college. Just scholarship? And, Is that the reason? Or just? Uh, I ended up in scholarship. I didn't start with golf scholarship. Um, but that was like a weird division change thing. But right. um, it definitely helped and That's awesome. taught me a lot of like discipline in the process, which I feel like in art school, <laughs> yeah, you yeah, can yeah. be like, woo. <laughs> but when they're like, oh, you have to be at practice every day. Like that was really helpful um i studied graphic design um i came out with i i i moved to washington dc after college and i worked um at a really small um i guess now you'd call it like a startup agency sure like us it was like a small design shop um founded by a guy who had grown up in brooklyn and um, then moved to DC with his family and started a shop and it was amazing. It was the best like secondary design education I could have gotten because there weren't that many people that worked there. And I remember in my interview, he had just come off of an all nighter and he was terrifying. He was like, do you know how to use these programs? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I think so. I mean, I just got out of college, but I don't know. Yes. And he was like, and he was like, it's sink or swim. <laughs> and I was like, oh, God. <laughs> he actually turned out to be really wonderful, but, like, I think he just needed, like, a nap. But he, That's amazing. Uh, but, yeah, that those people taught me everything about, like, I mean, I was. I was just, like, thrown into it. And yeah. I had to do the same yeah. kind of stuff that anybody else is doing, and um, which meant a lot of long nights for me because I didn't know what I was doing. I was right. brand new. And you're working for clients for the first time. And working for clients for the first time. But I will say he was such a great mentor and role model because if I was there until four in the morning working on something for ultimately his clients, yeah. um, he would stay. Huh. And he would be like back in his office working and he was like, are you done yet? Did you Did you fix it? And I would like come in and I'd show it to him. He'd be like, this is not right. <laughs> I would be like, okay. And he, was oh, like, he was like, go back and try again. And yeah. so, but would always like let me get to the answer. Never like just told me how to do something. Huh. And that was really great. And I mean, he, it's a very successful company nowadays. And um, I can see why he fostered a lot of talent and like let people actually work. Huh. which I feel like is, I don't know, Josh, if you've had this experience, but can be, things can get really diluted in a, in a creative job and have a lot of cooks in the kitchen. And a lot of times people have, people lose the, I guess you, you go through so many revisions and things. You're just like, oh, I don't care. Just do it. Oh yeah. You yep. don't care anymore. Yeah. You don't care anymore. And I don't feel like at that point I was I was in an environment where like you always cared. Yeah. And you always just kept back and do it kept going back and doing it again. Yeah. And, um there was a lot of like value put on the product. That's amazing. That's a really wonderful value to be 
inundated with when you're a young creative fresh into work. Because if you would have gone straight to NYC and worked at a big agency, I mean, we've both seen that where after the 15th revision, everyone's like, I don't know, make it purple and green and put a dead frog on it. Who cares? Yes. <laughs> I've, had, I've had to put so many dead frogs on it. <laughs> yeah. I didn't realize you started in D.C. That's funny. We have uh, overlap there. Wait, so what made you go to New York? Um, I had, um, well, going to art school, most of your friends, when they graduate, go to L.A., Chicago, or New York. Sure. Um, That's what I did. <laughs> yeah. I had been living in D.C. for a year and a half, and, like, my job was the best part of D.C., um, and most of my friends were were through my job, um, and I'd been coming up back and forth to visit a lot, and um, I had moved to D.C. because it was, on, in all honesty, it was like my college relationship, and yeah. um, which had kind of just like run its course. Like it wasn't anything like bad. It, w- it was just like, oh, we're probably not going to spend the rest of our lives together and like right. still like really maintained a friendship. But I was like, I don't know. I just kind of came here because it was like an easy place to kind of float to. And I landed in a really good spot and I had a lot of good people around me. Um, but coming to New York a lot, visiting my friends here, seeing how big everything was, seeing the vast opportunity that I just didn't feel that in DC. Right. Um, and so then I moved and I feel like it was like the first place where I landed where I was like, this feels like home. This feels like why I always, I like saying like in New York, it's kind of like up to you. Like everything is available to you and you just have to decide if you want to do it, then you start meeting those people to do it. And, and But it's there, like anything you want to do. I mean, even like farming, like people are farming yeah. on the roofs. Like you could do... <laughs> it's true. You could do anything yeah. here. And, and you can always you find can, like a group of people who are not going to judge you who you can join in with on it. Definitely. And I think the... the um, also, you can get anywhere. Like you can... You're so accessible to the rest of the world. And that just always, that felt very freeing to me. Even if I decided like not to do anything, right. I'm still in the place where if I wanted to, I could. And I grew up in a place where if you wanted to do something that was, especially like in my world, a little like uh, more creative, it was hard to track down those opportunities. Yeah. Um, and so it's not that they weren't there. It's, it's just you really had to, <laughs> yeah. you really had to find it. It's like a needle in the haystack. And maybe sometimes it wasn't there. So um, yeah. I think I spent a lot of my life with my parents being like, you can do that when you're an adult. <laughs> and I was like, cool. Great. <laughs> so like fast forwarding and condensing as best as you can the time yeah. between college and when you decided to be full-time music, yeah. you're in advertising you're using yes. your design chops and your education, but what started to happen and shift for you that made you decide to move from that into music full-time? Uh, I f- I'm, re- I'm realizing I've left out like a big part of the story. 
Yeah, great. This is a the perfect story time to tell. Take me back. Um, well, I've always sang. Mm-hmm. Um, my grandma had recordings of me when I was a, a little girl singing country songs. Um, I used to sing this song, um, 18 Wheels and a Dozen Roses. Do you guys know that song? I don't. Can you sing just Did a I little make bit? Up my... Can you sing? Can you sing just a tiny little bit? I don't want to put you on the spot. You can say no. Yeah, no. It's like, oh yeah. I mean, this was like my go-to song when I was like four. Like, Eighteen wheels and a dozen roses, ten more miles on his four-day run, and then I do the guitar. <laughs> do 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 do. <laughs> I think it's a Kathy Matea song, and I think I think I think it's about a trucker. Sounds like Like it. coming home to his family. <laughs> wait, Ten you're still not sure? on the wait, 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 wait. radio. You're still not sure what this song is about? <laughs> you know what? I, you know why? Because I remember thinking as a little girl um, how beautiful like a truck with roses on it would be. I didn't know that. Yeah. 18 wheels and a dozen roses made me think of like a, like a truck with like just like emblazoned with roses and i think that's what like endeared me to the song but i didn't right i had no i didn't know what it was about and i think now what's stuck in my head whether those words are right or not like that's the song oh that's so and then, cool and so i don't know i could i should probably go back and do no it but doesn't it feel like it like, would re- <laughs> I've, i'm totally doesn't it feel like now i was giving you a hard time earlier because if you yes. went and found out what it really meant does it feels like it would sort of rupture it, doesn't it? I think it would, but I think I maybe I'm right that it's about like an eighteen wheel, uh, eighteen wheeler, a truck driver, yeah. a semi truck driver, like driving home to see his family. Yeah, I think that's what it's about. Well, you you saying like eight words, and I'm like ninety nine percent sure that's what it's about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 But I think the I think the roses are like in the cab with him. I don't think they're Oh yeah. He's one hand on the wheel. Well they're definitely the not in the bed of the truck if that's if that's what you're wondering. I thought they were like around <laughs> the tires and just like, oh, you just, all like over, it was a like, mad decorated max of flowers. Yeah. That's amazing. So you were you were saying though your grandma would record you singing a song. Yes. And then um You were singing church, right? And huh? like I remember seeing I, you play in like a jazzy rock band. Before. I did. So I played uh, I, I I took up guitar when I was a teenager, and like right before I went to college, I started playing guitar. And my guitar lessons were silly because um, I was really bad at guitar. And then uh, the like my third or fourth lesson, I w- I was supposed to play House of the Rising Sun, and I was like, "Can I sing with it like while I play it?" And he was like, "Sure, go for it." And so I started singing. He was like, oh, my God, you can sing. And then he just picked up his guitar and played, and I just sang. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, that's really I amazing, tried. though, that he worked with you in that way, that he was kind of <laughs> like, yeah, sure, great, you can sing. I'll play and you sing. That's kind of amazing. Yeah. It was, it was great. And that was like a really encouraging moment. And then um, he encouraged me to start writing my own songs, so I started doing that. And that was probably the beginning of my like songwriting career I was like 16 or 17 doing that and then um, I also then when I was living in DC so I wrote um, I I wrote a bunch of songs when I was in college it's kind of like girl and guitar style 
thing, folky stuff. And then um, I used to sing with my roommate, and we called ourselves the Nightlights. Um. <laughs> I, like I kind of like that name. And then uh, when I lived in D.C., and I worked at that design job that I loved so much, um, we also would make a lot of video and... Um, part of that was like scoring the music to go behind the videos. And there was a woman there, um, named Jen who would let me sit in the studio with her and help her come up with these compositions. And by help, I mean, I would be like, what if it goes, ba, 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 ba. <laughs> and she would be like, yeah, yeah. But she would just let me kind of like vocalize to her, like how these songs should go. And she, she would take the lead on all of that. And if I had an idea, she was open to letting me be a part of that process, which was really cool. And probably my first time like ever sitting in a recording studio. And um, it turned out that she was the original guitarist for Salt and Peppa, uh. and um, was in a band in DC. And she was like, hey, like you can kind of sing. Why don't you come sing with my band? And wow. I was like, okay. And so then I sang with her band, which at the time was an all-female hip-hop, pop, R&B cover band called Lady Rhythm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and we played at, like, casinos and stuff. But that was a good lesson in, like, getting over my fear because they were all, like, super talented, accomplished, like, female musicians. Mm. I was the only, like white girl so that was like another I remember like right before I went on stage Jen like patted me on the back and she was like <laughs> she was like you're great you're gonna do great don't try to be black oh my. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that was such good advice yeah. because it's like yeah be yourself. you can all sing different genres be yourself while you're yeah. singing it be your don't try to be don't try to embody anybody else just do your thing and be yourself and sound like you. That's amazing. Um, but like 30 seconds before, like walking onto my first gig, I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> what an incredible permission that was granted to you from someone who was in the space. Yeah. Yeah, it was wild. And to be around all those other women too that were doing this and just crushing it every time. I mean, they would let me come on and sing like three songs with them, but they were, I was in awe of them. Huh. And like, they were like playing the bongo drums because it was kind of, had like kind of like a, a conga, conga, I conga. guess. Oh, I'm going to butcher that. Um, but they, because um, they came from like a go-go background. So these songs would go on for like 13 minutes. Wow. And I would just kind of like stand there on the side and like, I was like, yeah, this is cool. <laughs> That's awesome. Just like soaking it all in like a sponge. But yeah, they were amazing. Huh. Um, and then I moved to New York and like, like Leif said, um, I, he saw me in a band. And so I moved to New York and I for years didn't play in anything. I was doing design. I quit my first design job that I had in the city to go freelance. Um, and actually, when I quit, the, my boss was so mean. He was like, who do you think you are? What do you think you're going to do? Mm -hmm. Do you no. think anybody's going to hire you? Ugh. Like, he wasn't very nice. And I had a boss one time when I was, um, I was getting ready to leave. And he was just, he was probably 20 years older. 
and was at that awful crux where he's supposed to know everything but has no idea how digital works. And he <laughs> was so pissed that I would have the audacity to leave. And he was... It was he, he probably needed you, right? Well, he did, but he was he did need me, but he was also really angry that I was my title was quickly catching up to his and my salary was quickly catching up to his. He was pissed because I was like, well, I had just gotten done doing all of the, the like a global campaign and for a big brand. And he wasn't thrilled. I think that I managed that and ran that. I remember him being like, you need to have a big swinging dick when you go into the next place and you don't have one of those. And I was like, good Lord. Cause he's, (laughs) He was telling me basically I had to have like a an award or a bunch of other things. Like, no, I had, oh, oh, it was just yeah, both vile and jealous and angry. And... Well, advertising is known for people with humility, right? <laughs> <laughs> Which is amazing because they have so they they don't have very much. I'm sorry to all the people who are in advertising who are listening, but. Very few of them, if any of them, in my opinion, have much to be proud of. There's, there's, it's mind blowing to me that they are so cocky because it's like you are not worth that. What you're doing is not worth being that cocky about. Yeah, a lot of time that's true. I, I will say, I so I did quit that job. That man was mean, um, and I. Uh, became a freelancer and I landed into one of the kindest, most wonderful people in advertising I've ever met. Oh, that's awesome. um, And who I ended up working with from the age of like 24 to 30, I mean, till now, like every every now and then I'll still freelance with her. Um, But she kind of like nurtured me and watched me grow up. Mm. Um, And was never like that. Never had an ego like that. Um, uh, always did good work or tried to do good work within the limitations we were given. And um, I feel like when you find somebody like that, you kind of like latch on to them yeah. and you're like, I don't care what we're doing. I don't care what we're making, but it's worth working with you. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. So, so, I, so that, was, that must have been really hard to leave then. To leave that? Yeah. If you've got the sweet, like you love the people you're working with, they're supportive, like what made you change? Well, I'd been in that, um, a couple years after being in New York, I had met another person from my work who was awesome, who uh, was a saxophone player, a beautiful saxophone player. Um, he played this. She played the saxophone beautifully. He played the. His name is. His name is Carl Turner. He's an amazing saxophone player. Shout out to Carl. Shout out to Carl. Um, I think I've seen Carl play before. Have I you? I think so. I feel like it was years ago when you. I think I. I'm pretty sure I saw because I remember. You a would saxophone remember. Player, you would remember yeah. Carl. And I remember He's Phil incredible. and everybody kind of getting into that. Yes. Yeah. So, Carl had heard me sing. Uh, karaoke at a at a company like happy hour and he was like hey you gotta come over to my house like that's cool we're gonna play some music and i was like i don't know you you're a strange man i'm not coming over to your house and then i finally did and he was like wonderful and like 
uh, had like his wife and kid were there and they're like oh it's so nice to meet you I'm so glad you came to play music and I was like I'm a jerk <laughs> like, and that was like my first New York City band experience um, and we it was also the first time that I I walked in he had a whole band set up and there was a keyboard player a drummer a bassist um, and then him on, on sax and um he gave me a stool in front of a microphone and he said, um, this is where you're going to sit. And they're like, we're going to start warming up and they start playing things. And I'm just like waiting to hear them start playing a song so I can sing said song. And it's like been 15 minutes and I'm like, all right, like they're taking a long time to warm up. When are we going to stop and play a song? And the bass player like leans over and whispers in my ear and he goes, are you going to sing? And I was like, oh, no. Like, they want me to, like, make up the words to whatever they're playing oh and just, like, improvise with them. And that was the way that band worked was that I would just, like, come up with things on the spot and they would allow me to, like, just kind of... It was it was the first time I'd ever done that and I I learn to not feel stupid yes just make just making noises and because they didn't make and, you feel stupid they were like great cool this oh no you're in yeah yeah i mean at that point i was just doing what they were doing because they were just playing yes. off of each other and oh i see kind of where you're gonna go with that chord and like the rhythm that you're leading into like i'll pick up and play off of that so then i mean i think that's the truth of really being in a band Everybody's communicating with each other non-verbally and reacting to each other and being able to express what we're all getting at through our instruments um, and creating a move and a vibe with that. And that was the first time I felt that. I feel, I feel like with, aside from the aforementioned cocky people, that when you enter into a new creative venture and it needs other people or it is better with other people, which it usually is. And you mm -hmm. encounter these really open, kind people who don't, who like invite you in. They they never directly say you're in. There's always this feeling of like, oh my gosh, am I allowed to do this? And this fear, <laughs> this like, oh my, I'm gonna have such an idiot on myself. I can't do this. And then, because once in a while we do we do share something personal and intimate with someone, and they're like, you're an idiot. But most of the time with creatives I have found, they're like, oh, cool, I'm going to work off of that. And there's no weird, like, cockiness or weird, you don't belong here. There's just kind of this wonderful, oh, I like that. I'm going to try something with that. It's the most yeah. wonderful experience. It's so refreshing when you find that, yes, too. Yes, it is. So this is... And you find just, yeah. This was happening for you with this band. They're kind of yes. coaxing out of you. Hey, you don't need to feel stupid. Just join in and jump in, and yeah, definitely. And and then writing songs on the spot was a new thing, and um, just going from there. I will say, I I had been writing still on my own and learning how to begin the beginnings of uh, like production, like bedroom production. Yeah, uh, I had started. I had started making my own songs and. Uh, I I tend to like when I'm writing by myself and when I'm producing things I make pop pop songs which is what I'm doing now and um there was there there was a little bit of friction in that band where um 
one of the members did not want to play my pop songs. And he was like, oh. I don't want to play this. Like, I want to play, like, I want to play this kind of music. Like, he was very into this. He, he was very into what he liked. And, Got it. Um, and so it kind of made me feel a little self-conscious about my writing capabilities uh, and like what I was doing on my own and maybe like what I was doing on my own wasn't as worthy as like what we were doing as a band. And, so there was some of that um, judgment. So you were simultaneously being ushered in and told you can do this, but then you've quickly discovered, oh, there's this other part of me that's not good enough or not right or I'm doing it And wrong. I will say that only came from... Every now and like when I would bring something and it would come every now and then from one member and the other members were like, this guy's stupid. Don't listen to him. Oh, cool. <laughs> they were still very encouraging, but it's kind of that thing where, you know, they say it takes like seven compliments to get yeah. over one, one, um, yeah. negative insult or negative yeah, thought. Yeah. And I think that just stuck with me. And even though the band would be like, we're going to play your song anyway. And they would play, we would, we would play my songs and they were really great about that. But I was always like, maybe they're not good. Like maybe they're not good enough and maybe I should change the way I'm writing. And part of that was good because I feel like it did push me to explore other chords and like other sounds and all of that. But that stuck with me a long time. And I, um, after that band ended up breaking up, um, I didn't do anything for a long time. I ended up singing in church for a little bit. Um, and then I just decided maybe the music thing was over and I would keep working. So I transitioned from a freelancer into a full-time employee. Hey, Sarah, what was going on that made you think the music's over? Why? I, You know... I felt like the band thing was really hard because you have to have all the members that are all fully committed, which is like people have to make a living. So people have other jobs, people have families, people have their own goals. So uh, finding a group of people and and at this time too like i'm not 18 years old like i'm right. i'm in my mid 20s mid to late 20s by this point and um i think finding a band that works well together is much easier when you're young because people haven't made lives for themselves yet and kind of like getting married unless, yes yes mm-hmm. totally yeah and finding people that want to give you that level of commitment and share their talents with you and meet up weekly to to rehearse um is rare when you're older yeah well just scheduling five 30 year olds to go to dinner is the hardest thing yes like it's impossible yeah i can do two i can't mm, thursday well i can well i'm at a meeting (laughs) yeah and i thought it and i think i thought it was over because i was like yeah i sing and i write and i make these little like tracks in my bedroom that are like I like them, but I don't know that the rest of the world is going to like them. And I don't actually play all these other instruments, so I don't know how I would ever do this live. I don't know the people that are... Nobody's going to want to, like, join me and be my band. And so I was like, I'll just do this as my hobby. I'll write my songs by myself. Yeah. I'll work. I'll make money. I'll I'll just... This will be my life. And that will have to be good enough. And... um, So you started, as you were approaching this inflection point this decision you started 
like a voice in your head started reminding you of all the things you couldn't do. Yeah, definitely. Of like, well, you can't do this or that or this. And like, I, I kind of just, I, I mean, I left all of my music stuff set up in my room and I didn't touch it for probably like two or three wow. years. Oh, I just so sat there. Well, what kicked it into gear then? What was the like, I'm out and I'm going full time. What was, what was that moment? For music? Yeah. Um, I, so I'd been working in my job for a long time. I'd gone full time. And um, I was, even though, even though I loved the people that I worked with, I didn't love the work. And I, not that we all need to love our work, like sometimes people just need to make a living. Sure. And I was fortunate to be working in a place that was at least a good environment with good people. Um, but I think I, and I had this beautiful window that like looked out onto the big city that, as I said before, like always like bubbled up this like, Oh, look at all these things you could do. I'm like Hmm. every day looking from the 13th floor out onto this like skyline of possibility. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting there like, you know, sitting chained to this computer being like, Oh, I would never like make this stuff on my own accord. I'm just making it because it's my job. And um, I had gone out to a couple of meetings and I was in the back of this SUV coming back from a really long, uh, the ride back to the office was, was a long meeting, was a long ride. And everyone in the car was talking and they were talking about the business and like where it was going and what it was doing. And I just like, First, tried to like block it all out. I was silent. I was like, oh, why are we talking about this? We're in the car right now. It's like free time. We don't have to talk about the work. And they were just talking about the work, the work, the work, the work. And I was like, oh, I don't want to talk about the work. I don't want to be in this car listening about the work. If I could get out of this car right now, I would. And um, then I, I got back that day and I had had a couple of friends here um here this i had this at this point like a library of songs that i had like kept on dropbox that i would like get drunk and play to people i'd be like hey Mm -hmm. (laughs) you guys know i write songs (laughs) uh, um that's amazing so i would play them for people and they'd be like why aren't you doing something with this why aren't Uh, you doing something with this and i'd always be like eh so you were, even then, it's interesting because you were, you had all these voices that were like, you, you, there's all these things you can't do. You can't do this. You can't do this. You can't do this. But even then with that oppressive, strong self-judgment, there was this other part of you that was poking its head out when you got enough liquid courage to be like, yeah. hey. You get a few drinks in you. Yes. Yeah. Turn into a showman. <laughs> yeah. Because it was still there and it was dormant. Yeah, it was. And I had... Um, uh, a couple of friends who were friends. Well, our friend group uh, had. Um, there was a producer in our friend group, and everybody's like, "Why don't you just send Mike? Um, Mike Beck is his name." And they're like, "Why don't you send Mike your stuff?" And I was like, "I don't know. Like, what's he gonna do with it? I can't play any of these songs. I just make them on my keyboard, and right. I can't." And they were like, "Just send them to him. Like, he'll know. He can tell you what to do with mm-hmm. them." And so that day after I got back to the office after being in that car and I think it was that self-realization of like, 
you're forcing yourself to climb this ladder that you don't want to be at the top yes. of. And, wow. and because you like these people, but you don't like, you don't have any heart in this work. And do you think you did at one point, Sarah, or did you just, and you lost it or did you never have it? And you finally admitted that. I don't think I, I don't, I think I have a heart for design and aesthetics and, um, and creating. I don't know that I have a heart for, uh, and, and for, and for communicating a message through visuals, but I don't know that I have a heart for pharmaceutical advertising, yeah. <laughs> yep. which is, which Said is everyone. the realm that I was in and it's an important industry. It has pros and cons and that's a whole nother podcast, yeah. but like, I think, I think I had kind of burnt out in that. And, and I had at some points like been really excited about some of the work that I was doing and felt like it was very valuable to people. And then I was like, all right, I think I've kind of like ridden this as far as yeah. I can go emotionally. I could keep going and turn off, but I, I don't. I also don't want to do that. I remember. Um, I want to. I want. I wonder what you, if you, had a similar experience. I remember a couple moments when my career in advertising was eventually, or my career in big agency advertising, because um, running my own thing is different. But big agency advertising, I remember the emotional change in walking into clients' offices was noticeable. Where mm -hmm. I've always loved. I've always loved getting in the room with my coworkers and creating things. And it's just so fun and beautiful. And when you crack this problem together on your own, it does, it's just great. And I remember there was a time when I would go into offices and be excited to talk about it and share, or at least be emotionally present. And then there was this definite moment. And one of them was a pharma client actually, where I remember walking back into their office and just feeling nothing. I just emotionally felt like I don't care about this at all. It had moved beyond it moved beyond joy and then it moved into I don't like being here. This is boring and then it just moved into Yeah. Wow, I don't care about being here at all. And I remember that was kind of that was the like the last gasp of dying breath for me in big yeah. agency advertising. Was that what you were experiencing or was it different? I think it was similar. I think it was similar. I think um, I think once I realized I wasn't caring about it, I was like, I have to get out of here before I start resenting yeah. this. And I because I'm grateful for everything that it's provided me. I'm grateful for the people that I've met. And I might need to come back here someday. So I don't want to get to the point where I hate this and I can't be here. Yeah. So. I was very cognizant of that and being like, look, you, you've pinpointed that like, this isn't what you want to spend your life doing, but don't turn your back on something that has like provided a life for you and like provided friends for you and provided, mm -hmm. gotten you to this point to being able to see, oh, maybe there's something else I want to do. Like that in itself is a gift of like having that, that realization of like oh this isn't it and so I didn't want to get to the point where I was like oh I hate this place and I gotta like I didn't want to be bitter sure. about it but I um, knew 
I had like a short time, <laughs> a short time, like once I realized that wasn't it. Yeah. So I sent, I sent my music to, to Mike mm -hmm. and we got on a phone call the next day and he was like, these are great. Like, what do you want to do? And I was like, what do you mean? What do I want to do? <laughs> and he was like, what do you want to do with these? And I was like, what does that mean? Get so, famous. Um, he was like, well, let's make something. And so... And you didn't know him very well at the time. Or I did, did you? not know Mike very well. I had met Mike a couple of times. Um, but at this point, he was my only outlet. Yeah, he was yeah, like yeah. my only foray into this, maybe this is my other thing. Sure. And, um, oh my gosh, I forgot the whole burlesque story. Yeah, you, you you had a burlesque phase. Was that like a maybe I'll do music? No. That was my I feel I I will I credit the burlesque phase as my like it was like my like stepping stone to music because Right. I had seen a, I had seen a burlesque show um and this beautiful woman came out and she sang and I was like, "Oh my god, that's the key. I can sing." Yeah. Yeah. And only rely on myself and perform wow. and be this like like this thing so I was like maybe I need to do burlesque yeah. <laughs> so and so then I took I took because um, wait 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 so you're because because you're like no, no no I can't do all this stuff and then you find this this secret side passage back into it yes yes I yeah. found the secret side passage so I was like oh yeah and my favorite movie growing up was Gypsy. So I was like, I'll be like Gypsy Rose Lee and I'll sing and I'll throw a glove into the audience. Mm. And I, um, <laughs> and I, and so I, uh, this was before sending Mike all the stuff, but I, I ended up going to burlesque school and then I spent all this time making a costume and I did, I, my, I did my one and only burlesque, um, uh, yeah. maybe not only forever, but for now, forever, uh, performance and I um after all the work that went into that and I didn't sing that time I lip sync because it was my first time <laughs> but I can totally I, I can totally see like the like the genuine creative in you being like I'm not allowed to say that I I have to say that I lip synced I'm required to say that I lip synced because <laughs> <Yes. laughs> no one would ever know but you're like I, this is a requirement. This is like my myself. moral code. I have to be true. But yeah, I, I was I was there that night that you performed, and it was it was the night that forty of your friends all were like, "Oh boy, yeah, here we 40, go!" Like thirty to forty of my friends saw me naked that night. Well, it was a yeah, it was not like, completely naked, but it got it got very sexual, and there was a lot of like <laughs> a lot of couples had to talk that night after and being like, "Oh, like." You were you were in trouble if you didn't go support Sarah, but if you were too into it, like you were in trouble. Like, don't look at her like that. She's a friend. And it was forty of us friends doing that together, and it was the funniest, most awkward. Like, don't you dare look at her. But you can look, don't look at that one. And like, we're just here for Sarah. I'm so I'm so sorry I put you in that position. No, I I had a good time. I got out fine. Some other people who will not be named. So there were a lot of there was a like a lot combo. of what do I do with my eyes during this situation? Yeah. Yeah. Just like, so you, Sarah, are up there like having fun and i was having i was nervous i was also nervous i mean you were great thinking about all of the people that you spend your life with day in and day out 
seeing you voluntarily on both sides, seeing you naked was, was chilling. <laughs> Why do it? But it wasn't. It's not. It wasn't about that. It was more. It wasn't about that. It was. It was. Well, that's. It's it, sure it's it was, not about that. But like, that's part of it. So why? It's part of it. Yeah. yeah. Why did? Why yeah. do it? Because I I wanted to get to this place where I could, and in, in which so much of burlesque was valuable to me in this way, which was I needed to get to this place where I could feel comfortable stepping out, stepping out, and being like, this is me. This is what I want to do. I'm okay with it. And. I don't care if you're okay with it or not. Uh, like I, I want to do this, huh. and that translates into singing and writing music and being okay with telling the world, like, no, actually, like, I spent enough of my life telling myself I can't yeah. do this. I don't need you to do it too. Huh. And so it's like and, going skydiving when you're afraid of heights. You're like, yes, exactly. Yeah. Screw it. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, that makes sense. I never connected those dots. And I, yeah, and I, and I thought burlesque might be the, the key to all of that because I would be able to only rely on myself and put together these acts and combine my tactile love of, of making things, so making costumes and choreographing all of that and then being able to sing on stage eventually with the act. But I don't know, after I did it, I was like, that was really re like rewarding and I feel accomplished and I feel like I conquered a lot of fear and learned a lot but I, it's like nowhere near as satisfying as getting on a stage and singing something that I wrote yeah hmm. so I think that kind of shut the door on that pretty quick for me as far as like what I was trying to accomplish yep. and then then I had the a couple of months before the moment in the SUV and then sending Mike the songs Hmm. And then him being like, what do you want to do? And yeah. Then, and then you guys hung out and then. Yeah. Then we hung out and we started. Um, he dug through my little library of songs and um, was like, hey, I think these have legs and let's just start remaking them and rebuilding them. And we just spent like the next few months working together on those songs. I was learning a lot about the music industry um, Why don't you take this second for people who don't understand the music industry at all? A producer is someone who basically takes the the raw ingredients of something and then helps you coax it into its final form, right? Yes, yes, that's a really good description of a of a producer. So I definitely like I I had made these these songs um, in my bedroom. Um, with my like software and my, my little piano and my vocals and um, I took them to Mike and I said here's what I have I kind of want it to sound more like this I want more guitar I want all of these things that I wasn't capable of putting in these songs and and he was I mean he if he didn't know how to play something he knew somebody who could play it and he knew how to properly record so he was the guy who kind of was like help me harness my vision and blow it out into what it could be and then interject his professional with his professional experience in the music industry of like I think we should add this here or this will be much stronger if you add a kick here like all of those things to kind of like tweak something into a yeah. final product is is what his role was you know I bet as having worked in advertising and had clients for as many years as you had, you may have been 
I bet that trained you well to be receptive to a producer's hand in your music. Whereas maybe if you've started as a musician, you've always been a musician. Some musicians get really precious about producers not screwing with their stuff. Mm. But I imagine you were probably like, oh, yeah, this is how it's supposed to work. We get other people who are good at this and we work together. Or were you feeling that like, what are you messing with my music for, man? I think I was receptive, but not not necessarily because of the uh, advertising background. I think it was more my insecurity of like, I still don't know what I'm doing. Hmm. So I'm, I'm going to listen to everything you say because... I don't know. <laughs> Just trust. You have to. Well, you have to, right? And you have to trust. And I think, I think, you know, first you have to ask for help, and then you have to be willing to take the help, and trust that whoever you ask for help is worthy of giving that to you. Did you know? Two questions. Do you are you at a place now where you're trusting yourself enough to say yes and no to things? And yes. Did you know back then? Do you remember back then when you think about it? Did you have a little voice in your head that was like, don't put the kick there, but I don't know what I'm doing, so trust him. Or did that voice not show up at all back then? Definitely. There was stuff that, um, I mean, there's a song that we made together that I, I will probably never release. And that's not his fault. That's my fault. There, there's as much responsibility on me to have a voice in helping craft these these songs and it's at the end of the day it's my song i wrote it yeah. i have to i have to own that and so um yeah i was really meek at first and i was really just kind of like i don't know yeah let's do this let's do this and he'd be like well i put this i made this like this is this okay and i'd say yeah it's great and like <laughs> yeah. and then like a month later i was like oh i would have done this totally different yeah um and so part of it is like taking the time to learn to trust myself and to learn to speak up right. and to learn that that's just part of the process as it is in any other creative process mm-hmm. and to not question myself in that. Um, and so now I'd still very much take the advice that I get from people who have been doing this a long time as gold, but that's not the only voice in the room. It's like, oh, well, my vision for this song and my vision for what this is supposed to sound like is just as valuable and might be something that like they didn't think of. Right. So it's important for me to like vo- vocalize this and, and be active in this process. Yeah. And, and this, I guess maybe what it was, so what I've been interested in the whole time is because the stakes are higher at this point. Because you, you're like 30, you're not just like young and like, whatever, like you're, did you quit your job at this point? Like you're, so, you're financially invested, you're like, you're all in, right? I started, I started with Mike um, and we ended up recording an EP. Um, we had, we had uh, four or five songs done before I quit my job. I was very adamant about being this responsible (laughs) figure of like I'm gonna do both and I'm not gonna be a starving artist and I'm going to have my my desk job and then at night I'll do my my music and um at the end of recording everything again Mike turned around and was like well so what are you gonna do with this like what are we gonna do with this Mm. 
And I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> and he was like, well, is this just for you to keep? Or And I was like, no. like I wouldn't have invested all of this time and money and effort and emotion and heart into this yeah. for me to just like go home and listen to myself. Like, oh, gosh. <laughs> so um, I was like, if I was going to do that, I'd just sing in the shower. Um, so he... Uh, uh, and his and his um, partners at the studio were like, "All right, we're going to give you a crash course in in music industry." Cool. And they were like, "Here's what you do next if you want to get this out in the world, and if you want to play shows, and if you..." And at this point, I'm like, "I still don't know any musicians. I'm like, I don't know how to play a show." Yeah. We just made everything in the studio. Like, how do I? <laughs> yeah. How do you play this now? And um. So like he had a, the importance of uh, here's how you get it out onto onto Spotify and iTunes and Amazon and here's how you you need a website and you need a <clears throat> you need a eventually you need a manager eventually you need a PR person eventually you need that and there was like all of these things and it was like mm-hmm. this new mountain of <laughs> I was like oh my god I thought I could just like write these songs make an EP and put it out into the world, which I think like, yeah. it's such a naive, silly thing to think. But when you're like, oh, I'm finally taking this leap and and I'm going to make it. And then you're like, I would say for the, I'm just coming up on a, a year of doing this. And I'd say the whole first year was like every two weeks, I was like, oh, but then you have to do this. And so I'm just like learning all of these new things you know and what? consuming it and navigating that. Can I interrupt for a second? Yeah, I, go for it. I feel like there's this phenomenon that happens where other, when you watch someone start something new and you watch them walk through it, if you've never started something new yourself, it's so easy to judge. And it's so easy to be like, how did they not think of that? Have they never read a business book? <laughs> But when you're in it, especially the first time, but not even just the first time, when you're in it, you're you're constantly facing this, all of the different thing, all of these different decisions. There are thousands of different decisions every day, none of which you've ever really experienced before. And if you don't, if you don't trust yourself, if you don't have advice, like it's impossible, I feel like, to see some of that stuff coming. And so you can be an expert in one industry. You can be an amazing advertising professional and see things coming and be proactive. And then all of a sudden step over here and be this naive person who you're like, Where, what the, what's going on over here? How did I not see right. this coming? But when you're right. in it, and I, I think it's so important for new creatives to realize this when you're in it, it's like, it's a whole different ball game. And it, you don't see things coming and you can't see things coming. You're just busy trying to figure out the craft Right. Yeah, and that's such a struggle too cuz then you're like I'm not even as good at this craft as I want to be. Right. <laughs> now I have to be a business person too. Yes. And like cuz nobody's going to start out and like have a team of I mean maybe some people do and if you have that experience like thank your lucky stars and <laughs> like I wish I was you. Yeah. But I it's it's uh it's also really valuable I think for me at least to walk through all this and learn all these different sides of this industry and um and learn all of the different things that being one one per like I would say that the first year like I probably spent 90% of my time 
learning how to do things on the business side and then like 10% of my time being like, oh, I can play a show or I can like, I can write another song or like how do you, the creative how do you side really that? had to take a bad, a back seat. How do you process that, Sarah? I'm sorry, I cut you off, but how do you process that tension? Are you cool with it? Are you recognizing it's part of the process? I like learning new things. 90% is good. Or are you getting frustrated and feeling like, where's my music? I think it was good. I think it was really good because it made me understand the value of all of those people that hopefully I'll find and, and be able to rely on and how important their role is and what I need to look for in those people and how I'm going to need to, to trust them to like help me manage this journey in order to give me more free time to create more and become better at this craft. And so I think ha like shouldering that burden, both, both, uh, energy wise, mentally and financially has been a good thing. I don't want to do it forever, yeah. but I, I imagine it's the same in a startup world yeah. when you're like, I have this product, I want to get it out into the world. And, but right now, like I have to be the COO, I have to be the CEO, I have to right. be the CFO, yeah. like I have to do all of these things. And, um, then when you actually get around to being at a place where you can hire those people, you know what you're looking for because you've done it. Yeah. And so yeah, it's a great point. Yeah. So it's 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 been really helpful. How did you make I, the decision to quit your job and do this full time? And what would you maybe along with that say to other people who are considering it? Because you're, I, as Leaf pointed out, you are in your 30s. Uh, yeah. You have responsibilities. You've got uh, monthly payments of all sorts. Of, now that you're this mm -hmm. age, you're not living in your parents' basement. How did that come up? <laughs> um, I had gotten to the point where um, it wasn't that I was like hating the job. It was that I wasn't present in the job. I was spending most of my day at the office emailing music people, um, yeah. researching, researching all of these new things that I was learning. And I was completely mentally checked out in all of my meetings and looking down the face of I, I at that point I had like a good chunk of savings so I was like all right um why don't you quit and give it a try with everything you have because you don't have enough time to learn all this stuff create and perform and cultivate this persona that you're trying to cultivate. Oh, I was also trying to make a music video at the time. <laughs> so it was like, yeah. I was trying to do all these things. And like, so then I was like jumping into this like production role, which yeah. was a totally a whole different thing. thing. Whole other thing. And um, it was too much. And I was, and so I told myself, all right, you have, you've been so responsible your, your whole adult life. You are in your thirties now. At this point, you're either going to die or you're going to like decide to get married and start a family or whatever is going to block you from doing this. Like you have a very short window left of yeah. of if you want to do this full time and have it only be only be about you, like do it now. And um I was really nervous about that and I have a great boyfriend who said, um hey, you know, like money will grow back and time won't. 
And I was like, oh, because mm. I've always been really cheap. All my friends make fun of me because I've been really <laughs> cheap and I like hoard. I'm, I'm a saver and I, <laughs> I like won't. It's hard for me to be like, oh, I'll just like blow all of this, yeah. all of my savings on, on following my dream. That seems so irresponsible to me. But I told me, I made a deal with myself. I said, you get a year to do this. And if you, hmm. if you blow all your money and you don't make any strides and nothing good is happening at that year mark, you have to stop and reassess and decide how to move forward. And so I'm, I'm happy to say I've come up on the year and I've made a, a lot of strides. I've gotten a lot further than I thought I would. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've also recognized that like, this is a long game. Like yeah. This is not like I wake up tomorrow and I'm like, you know, playing Madison Square Garden. Right. Um, so it's a, it's now is this phase where I'm like settling into this thing that you've got all these learnings that you learned last year, you're writing more now, you found this new balance of how to do that, you found musicians, you've become like performing out of state now and doing those kinds of things. So I feel really good about all the things that I've done and I feel like I've bought myself another year, but I'm not ready to let go of my year rule yet of being like, all right, because I think that motivates me and yeah. being like, yeah, don't yeah. just like... Got to have deadlines. Well, how, yeah, it's... how have those metrics shifted? Because the first year was about, I can't have blown all my money and I need to have made some strides. Has that changed now as you look to the coming year? No, it's it's the same. I think the strides are different. So the first year it was it was play shows, try and find what your live act looks like. Um get your music out into the world officially. Um learn how to do some promotion that's not just that's not just like putting your stuff on Facebook to your friends. Yep. Like beyond that, like what does that mean? Um and and reach out to people and don't be afraid like look look where asking for help got you in the first place like don't forget that asking for help is still right okay and good and still listen to people like find the new people that you need to listen to and listen to them <laughs> and be humble through that process and like yes you know a lot more and you have a you have a voice that's that's finally like able to to drive you but also, like, take advice from the new people that you yeah. are, you can look up to that are going to help you move along the way and, and keep pushing you to not stop and create and move to whatever's next. How do you deal with those voices like that one band member who was the, the dissonant voice in that yeah. band now? Well, that's funny. I have worked that into my whole persona of who I am. When I get on stage, I'm, I'm SC. So SC, like I said before, is, is, my, is, is what I go by as, as my new pop persona. And I, um, those are my initials, SC, Sarah Cobb. And I have adopted this thing from day one where I paint my left ear gold. Um, when I'm on stage and that is something I do 
as I'm getting ready while I'm doing vocal warm-ups, I'll, I'll paint my ear gold. And it's to remind me, like, don't listen to anything that's going to stop you. Like, listen to yourself. Listen to all of the the good people and the good voices that you have. And it's also, like, I literally play by ear. I took a little bit of piano growing up, but, like, I, for the most part, play by ear. Um and for a long time, I thought that was something that was not good enough. Um, yes. And I was like, well, I'm just a singer, but I'm not like a classically clean, classically trained yeah. singer. Right, and right. so I, there were all of these things that I thought weren't good enough. Right. But then I would hear something. I would hear something and I'd be like, I could do that. I could sing that. And I can, and like when I would make something, I was like, this sounds good to me. This sounds great to me. I want to make this. I want to, and so it's really just this ritual of like every time I go on stage, like remind yourself to trust your ear, trust yourself, trust the good voices, trust the people that are up there with you, trust the people that came to see you. And then like anything else that's not worthy of going through a golden ear, like that's awesome. Get it out. That's brilliant (laughs) that you've come up with a, a, a physical, like a ritual that is tangible. That's physical. That is that you can see and feel to remind you of that. That's awesome. Yeah. It's been really good. It also looks really cool. So. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's so funny. It's really um, that that I feel like that's one of the hardest things to start to trust yourself, but then also be hope, op- like open and humble enough to be receptive to new voices, but then courage, like getting the courage to close off the voices that don't help. Because there's always someone with another degree and then there's always an asshole who has the degree and lets you know that you're supposed to have the degree let alone all mm-hmm. the self-judgment of well I don't have the degree so mm-hmm. I'm not I, I didn't play I wasn't trained classically I can't read music the way that a professional musician should be able to and that's your own stuff but then there's like the occasionally you do meet that guy in the band who's like I'm cooler than this I'm better than this I'm, I'm more evolved <laughs> than this I'm down the road from here and that's it's so stinking hard to, um, I find it personally super hard to manage it is, that. It, it's super hard, but I think also you have to take some of those things with like, yeah, that's hard criticism and it's hard to hear, but there sometimes there's truth in it. And if there is truth in it and it's hard to hear, I, I think you have to figure out, well, is it worth me pursuing to get better in that realm or am I or am I and and is that challenge something that's going to make me better overall or is that something that's just going to make me cut myself down and be bitter and resentful and I think there's there's both of those things because sometimes you do get better by hearing something hard and you do get better by and you got to just take that and be like yeah like I my music would be better if if I um, I don't, I don't even know, yeah. but yeah, I mean, we gotcha. th- there's, yeah, there's, there's truth in some of those things that are hard to hear. Well, this would, um, Leif, I was just going to ask kind of a wrap up question. Hit, yeah. Hit it. What advice would you have for other people who are processing this type of thinking about this type of change? Cause I'm zooming back out to what you experienced, it sounds like some of the big moments for you where you had these really wonderfully open, kind people that 
let you in and then took you farther and then they let you in yeah. and then they took you farther. But then inter yeah. interspersed between that, you did make some pretty courageous leaps and you did make some intentional big changes. Yeah. What would you want to say to people who are thinking about something like this? I would say don't be afraid to ask for help. And I heard someone say once, um, you should always look at your life backwards instead of forwards. So like think about yourself on your, on your deathbed as opposed to, I want to do all these things before I die. So if you look at your life from like, you know, I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm dead, I'm dying. And you look back and you're like, well, did I do all those things? And you want to be at that point without regret. And like the truth of the matter is, is we're, you know, we're all going to die. And I just, I feel like reminding myself of that a lot has been super helpful. Yeah. yeah. And I don't want to get myself into a place where I'm, you know, completely down and out, but recognizing the worth in the in the little bit of life that we have here that we have mm -hmm. and and the things i think the things that make you happy and excited and challenged and are are worth pursuing in any way shape or form and when you look back on your life like you're gonna want to have tried yeah. yeah and um just to not be afraid to do that because money will grow back and time won't. I love that. <laughs> I love that phrase. You should stop saying your boyfriend told you that. You should start just owning that as yours. <laughs> I feel like, but I feel like he got it from someone else. Yeah. I feel like he might have gotten that from Louis C.K. Really? So let's just go back to the source okay. and I don't know where that's, he got it. That's fair. That, um, that's fair. But it's true and I... I I didn't want to get to a place the same way with my job where I was bitter at myself for not having done something. And especially being in a city with so many creative people, I think there are so many people here that struggle with this and talk a lot about what we would do, yeah. what we yeah. would do. If I had that opportunity, I would do this. And the hardest part is like, carving out a path for yourself to make that opportunity for yourself but in some way shape or form even if it's really little like we can all do that for ourselves and it doesn't have to be like you can't like i said i'm settling in now to this being a really long game and i have to keep constantly carving out that opportunity for myself it's not like oh i quit my job and now i'm just going like i still have to work i still have to like take on side jobs to to pay for this and like you said from an outsider perspective like it can look so easy and people are like look at all these things you've accomplished and i'm like i'm yeah i'm every day like clawing my way through this yeah. and but it's worth it and it's and we can all stop and make that space for ourselves even if it's just like i need to like reserve one night a week for myself where I don't go out with my friends and I don't have to do chores. And instead of like vegging out and watching TV, like 
I'm going to write a short story or I'm going to mm -hmm. uh, read a book that's important to me. Like things start little like that and grow into bigger things. That's the nature of the world. It's the nature of life. And like we just have to apply that to ourselves. Oh, one thing I was going to ask you, how can people best support you? Oh, people can best support me by uh, listening to my music, which is, if it, I mean, it's great if you're in the New York area or um, another area where I'm playing right now. It's mostly along the East Coast. Um, if you can make it out to a show, I love that. And I love talking to people after shows and just getting to know them is has been actually one of the best experiences ever and really drives me to like keep going. Huh. Um, cause it's funny cause people actually listen to your words and they're like that. I saw you sing that song and it meant something to me. And you're like, Oh my God. Huh? Oh, wow. Oh, Oh, I have to ask you this question. I know you're not done yeah. saying this, but do are where do you fall on the camp of, the song is totally up to your interpretation. I'm not going to tell you anything what it's about because that would ruin it for you. Or this is what the song is actually about. This is why I wrote it. Where are you on that? I fall somewhere in the middle. I think some of my songs are pretty literal. Um, some of them are not. But if, if somebody comes to me personally after a show or a friend asks me, like, I really am curious as to what that song is about, I'll tell them. And usually, if I'm introducing a song, I'll say a really vague sentence about what it might be about, and then I'll let everyone interpret it. But I don't like to just tell a whole story of a song on stage. Yeah. Right. Okay, so people can support you by listening to your music. Is Spotify, Apple Music... Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon, Google Play, it's everywhere. Um, right now it's only digital, so unfortunately you can't like order a vinyl. Maybe someday. Um, does buying help? Like if, you, if, if is there a place to... Yeah. Does buying or buying streaming helps. help? It, it all helps. So I would never want somebody to buy something if they didn't like it. If you want to stream it or put it... Playlists help actually. Playlists help a lot with exposure because um, if somebody shares my song on a playlist, then it's it's going out to a wider audience and and I'm being associated with whatever else is on their playlist. Oh, that's cool to know. So playlists actually help a lot. It's a good tool to um, get more exposure to a wider audience. Okay, that's, um, that's great to know. So that helps a lot. Yeah, and then just like sharing and, and listening and watching. I have a music video, a couple of music videos out. Um, those are just, that's the easiest and best way to support. You can follow me on social media if you ever want to know when a show is going to be yeah. coming up because I do a little bit of traveling right now, hopefully more in the future. Um, do you have any new music coming out soon? I am in the process of writing a full-length album. So I am concentrating on that material right now. And then I hope to be recording by the end of the year. So it probably won't be out till next year. Do you feel like after today, any of the new album will be about this podcast? <laughs> all of it. I think all of it will be. You tease, but I think a lot of it. I think I do tend to write a lot about this experience. A lot about this change. A lot about oh, sure. 
at first, at first, I think it was really a lot of like, don't die kind of stuff. And now it's like, keep, now it's like, keep going, keep going. Because I have like, I would say two or three of the songs recently that I've written have been about strength and Mm. and endurance and self-doubt and like those kinds of issues. So, yeah. That's amazing. Well, we'll I'll I'll accept um, credits on the whatever song. <laughs> I'll put you in the liner notes. That would oh. make my day. That would just do a special thanks to Josh Teamers and Leaf Parton. And if you want to put thanks. the name of the podcast in parentheses, you can. <laughs> but my name's fine. <laughs> Deal. I love it. All right. Thanks so much for talking, Zero. Thank you for having me. That was fun. Uh, all right. <laughs>